Thank you for tuning in to Aletheia Bible Fellowship. Uh, today's sermon is on uh, viewing the, the world uh, around us through appropriate goggles. So looking at things through salvation versus the scratch lenses that world experience give us. I uh, hope you find this useful. If you have uh, a need for any other questions or want to reach out, you can find more information at uh, abfpdx.org. So today I'm going to continue talking about uh, basically the the uh, the world versus the church, people versus the church, talking about how it is that we are to be in the world and not of the world. Last week we gave kind of a, an overview, specifically talking about um, the reason that the world uh, hates us, uh, the reason that we are to show uh, who Christ is and how it is that we're supposed to show Christ is. So uh, today I want to talk a little bit more about that subject. Specifically, I want to talk about the change that's supposed to come about when we're Christians. Um, so last week, you know, the, the need for us to show the world who it is that Christ is uh, was the, the prominent uh, feature. Um, we're not to wall ourselves off from humanity. We're not supposed to, uh, you know, become like a monk in a monastery or what have you. We have a task of utmost importance to be that light on the hill, to uh, be the, the salt of the earth, um, as, uh, as the scriptures say. So that task, um, it has, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a, a tightrope sometimes, right? This fine edge. Uh, but let's just remind ourselves where we, where we were as we talked about it last week. So the way that we're to show the world that God sent Jesus is found in those verses that we looked at in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, of course, being where Jesus himself is praying in the presence of the disciples and laying out for them in his conversation with God uh, how it is basically that they should be operating and how then we as well should be operating as we come after uh, the, the, the apostles in that. So according to what we were reading in John 17, we're just going to look at, real quick at two verses, verse 21 and verse 23. Verse 21 says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us. And then <clears throat> this uh, is continued on in 23, I am in them and you are in me. May the experience such a perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So there's that they will all be one, right? There's that solidarity that's there. It is literally the way that we're supposed to reach the world uh, with that understanding of the fact that God sent Jesus into the world. They will know who Jesus is because of our solidarity. You can also see in John 17 how the world feels about the church. 
back in, in verse 13 through 16, it says, Now I'm coming to you, and I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so that they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out, but keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. <clears throat> so the reason that the world hates us is that we no, longer, we no longer look at things through the marred vision that the world frames everything in. It's kind of funny, I was sitting up here just before starting trying to wipe off my glasses so I could see clearly. I just made it worse, by the way. Um, but it, it fits, right? When we are in the world and operating with uh, the, that idea, that system that the world tells us we need to be operating in, we, we see just a lot of chaos. Things are not crisp and clear. Uh, they're all over the place. There's this sense of uh, unconnectedness that takes place from it. But when we look through the corrective lenses of our salvation, that's when things start to come into focus. So when we look through the corrective changes of salvation, it changes our outlook and how we see things, and it informs our mindset. Our mindset informs our actions, and we operate differently. The world doesn't like things that operate differently. But what I should say is that we're supposed to operate differently, right? It's one of the many struggles that I know that, that we experience in life. Now that I'm a new creation, how is it that I'm supposed to operate? Because I have all these years of experience that tell me this is how I operate. This is how I do things. And sometimes we fall into the trap even though we recognize who Christ is, even though we've embraced our relationship with God through Christ... We fall into that trap of still operating as if we were that old creature. That creature that was supposed to have died as we were resurrected as a new body. In fact, uh, James in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, says to the church, he says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them, and yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. I think these three verses here really sum up a pretty good description of how the world works. And yet James is sitting here writing to the church, identifying these exact same characteristics. So this says to me, there's been a failure. This is no longer the people of the church, the church being in the world but not of the world, but people of the church being of the world. So that line has been crossed 
not so we're the beacon anymore, but we've been led astray by what the world has to offer to us. The issue at hand is when we fail to leave behind the identity that we carried when we were of the world, we are failing to take hold of the victory that we have in Jesus. A victory through Christ, through his death and resurrection. And so we struggle with temptation and we struggle with the idea of having these things. We struggle with the pride of life, right? And we don't take hold of the victory that is already there, that is ours for the taking. We fail to be victorious in our own lives because we lose our focus. Our lenses become marred. We're no longer thinking through the the lens of salvation like we're supposed to. In Romans 6, Romans 6, 5 through 8, it says, Since we've been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free by the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we also live with him. See, there's been a change that took place. The question is, is have we actually taken hold of it? We know that there is death in sin for Romans 6.23. This should be a verse that we probably all uh, you know, have memorized, right? The wages of sin is death. But, see, you don't want to stop there. But, there's a promise that comes. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. So you have our old sinful lives. You have the place that we were. And through Jesus and his death and resurrection... We are created anew because we are one with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 continues that thought process, right? It says, for sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, this is where I I come back to John 17, and I say in verse 21, it says that I pray that they all will be one just as you you and I are one. You are in me. I am in you. May they be with us. So yes, it is the blood of Christ that paid the price of sin. It is Christ's resurrection that broke then the power of sin and death and in the lives of all who trust in his name. So we are victorious even though we don't always recognize that. It's just a a logical progression, right? I'm united with Christ in death, which is the wages of my sin. He's victorious over death and since I'm united with him, I am one with him as he is one with the Father, I, too, am victorious over death and sin. You must recognize, you must take hold, 
and live it. This means sin no longer has its hold on you. Right? It says we're not slaves to sin anymore. And it is how that we treat one another that is supposed to show the world who Jesus is. But James, in chapter 4, continues on from those, right? From that description that we read that sounds a lot like the world, and he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that a friendship with the world, of hairstyle, they enjoy the same hobbies and interests. If we, if we are friends with the world, if we choose the world, if we conform to the world, that is going to affect how it is that we present ourselves, our attitudes, our thinking, our lifestyles, our interests, and most importantly, our values. Because the world does not value what God values. One of the great challenges that Christians in our present age face, especially here in America, is how we handle those values that are increasingly being forced upon us. We live in a world that values something radically different from what Christians should have. Everywhere you go, we're told to pursue prosperity, pleasure, popularity, power. These things are considered to be worth all of our time and efforts by the world standard. These are the most important things for us. There's a fairy tale that, you know, quite honestly, I haven't heard in quite some time. It's well known, uh, the Pied Piper of Hamelin. Some of, I see some nodding heads, right? I don't know. I, like I said, I haven't heard people talk about this, but I'm, uh, I'm of an age when they told all these things on a regular basis, right? So just to... Just to give you a, a, a little bit of education, right? The, the town of uh, Hamlin employed the Pied Piper to get rid of all the rats. Portland could use one right now, right? So the, the town was overrun with rats. Uh, the rats were so big they were dragging children off, right? So they, the Pied Piper comes along and he says, I can get rid of the rats for, you know, such and such amount of money, what have you. And what he does is he plays a tune on his flute that so enchants these rats that they follow and drown themselves in the river. Bless you. So the tune was so enticing to the rats that all of them were charmed, all of them were led without any resistance out of town and into the river where they all drowned. Now, there's more that goes into that, but I want to focus just on that first part, right? If I've piqued your interest, it's, it's a great, great uh, read and understanding, right? But we kind of find ourselves in that situation in the world right now. We are surrounded by this, uh, I don't know, this magical tune that's being played by the media for all to hear. Uh, we're inundated with the, the call that would draw us to um, trends, values, and attitudes 
that the world wants us to find so enticing that we would literally drown ourselves in that culture. I mean, we all carry devices and have access to everything, and sometimes the call is so so overwhelming that even in a social situation, we're just sitting here doing this. How's it going? You see how easily I slipped into that? It's almost like I've done that before. We find ourselves in that situation in the world, and the basic message is that you must get everything out of this world that you can for yourself, by yourself. You can't trust anybody, because if they spot any bit of weakness, you will be pushed to the side. You will not have the victory that you seek in life unless you grab these things for yourself as quickly as you can. You are the only one that can make yourself rich in this life. You can make yourself look good. You can make yourself feel good. You can enjoy yourself. You can change the very person you are to make sure that you feel good. The world likes us to believe that these achievements... And this focus on self and what it is that we can get is everything. It's very lonely. Our senses being bombarded all the time with this makes it so much more important that we as Christians spend time in fellowship with one another. That we take opportunity as much as possible, to hang around each other, right? Those friend groups. We may not all have the same hobbies. How many people, oh, uh, laser engraved wood? Oh. You don't share the same hobby as me? I guess we can't be friends. That's what the world would teach, right? I have to associate with those people who like that smell of burnt wood, Or whatever chemicals, because maybe like acrylic, maybe sometimes you want to wear a breath mask. Trust me on this one. See, unless you like what I like, right, share the same hobbies so that I can be better than you at the hobby and pump up my self-pride, I will never achieve true success as a laser engraver. Or maybe it's appearance. I found out yesterday that, yes, I apparently am getting old. No, I showed up to a restaurant. Four people were wearing similar shirts to what I'm wearing right now, and they all had completely gray hair and were definitely 10 to 20 years older than me. But obviously, I'm conforming to old people is what's happening. The world tells us that outward appearance is a mark of who you are. They think if I can reduce my waistline, if I can improve my figure, if I can improve my posture, if I can have a little nip and a little tuck, I will be loved, I will be accepted. If I restore my hair, dye it a different color. Maybe if I tattoo my eyebrows, pluck out these bushy ones, 
I get weird ones, seriously. I have to clip them. All of this is not done for any other reason by the world than to get by, to get noticed, to be counted as successful. Because if anybody criticizes how it is we look, if we're too skinny, if we're too fat, if we have too much hair, don't have enough hair, isn't it terrible? How can we possibly keep up with that type of stuff? The world attempts us to fool us into believing that uh, affluence is worth everything. Uh, ever heard, make money while you can, it doesn't matter how you do it? Well, I mean, you can go on the internet right now, not, well, don't, because we're busy. But later you can go, and I'm sure you can find that that's a prominent feature. So like the rats that were charmed by the Pied Piper, we see our own loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues at work being enticed irresistibly by the exact same tune, and we sometimes feel drawn to follow it, not paying attention to the dangers and the end that it will lead us to. The solution to this is also found in James 4, verses 7 through 10. So following up this, I don't know, admonition, James says, Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief, and let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. See, it's not, it's not what we do. It's not the actions that we take that make us successful, that show honor and glory. It is what God does, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We have to make that step and take hold of that renewed mind, that brand new mind that looks not through the scratched, marred lenses of the world that, that just keeps everything chaotic and out of focus, but through the, uh, I, I almost said progressive lenses of salvation. It's radically different from the way that the world thinks, right? It's more in focus. I know it seems odd to us because we have all these experiences that say, no, 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 this is the way that you're supposed to think. But we have to stop looking through that filter. We have to stop dancing to the tune of the Pied Piper. We are to look first to God and our relationship with him. We are to show who Jesus Christ is through our love for one another 
And the only way to do that is to focus first on our relationship with God, to grow our relationship with God, to spend time in our relationship with God. And praise God, we don't have to do that alone because he's put a ton of people around us who are on the same journey, on the same path, with the same mission, so that we can show our love for one another, and in doing so, inform the world of who Jesus is. Because if we focus first on our relationship with God and our mindset is changed, we begin to see even the world through his eyes. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It continues in 17 to say that God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Now, I know last week I said that we're not supposed to, uh, the mission of the church is not to focus on uh, making society better and to uh, save the world, uh, because that's not our mission, right? We're supposed to shine the light, not on ourselves, but on Christ, on God through Christ. We do that by showing the world our love for one another, and this shines that light on who Jesus is and who God is. We are tasked to show the world Jesus through our solidarity and point to him. He will make the world a better place. He's already got plans in place, and his plans will not fail. Our one momentous task is to change how we think and not be enticed by those things in the world, but to think, well, I don't know, instead of for myself, for somebody else? To think about how it is that I can humbly serve you? to spend my time and energy not trying to be victorious in life, becoming rich so I can, uh, you know, yacht around the world. I don't know, it just came to me. I don't really like the ocean, so I don't think that I would do that anyways. But if you get a big enough boat, maybe? I don't know. But that's not what my goal in life should be. We must join God in the way that he loves and stop looking through the lens that we developed as a slave to sin and must now view things through salvation from that sin. Throw away our old self instead of dragging it along or just putting some makeup on it and pretending that it's all right. We are not alone in this process. And that's the key that we often fail to take hold of. We often still carry over that baggage from our experience with the world and and how we had these friends that we thought would look after us and care for us and take care of us. And then they stabbed us in the back. And then we take that 
lack of ability to trust anybody into our Christianity. We don't throw it away with our old self like we're supposed to, but we take that into our Christianity, into our relationship with Christ, and we see people at church, and we think, well, I don't know that I can talk to this person. I don't, I don't know if I can be vulnerable with them, because they're going to stab me in the back, like so many other people have. How can we truly be one with each other if we're not willing to trust one another? You want to ask me my secrets, I'll tell you my secrets. Oh, I don't have any. There's no skeletons dancing in the closet waiting to be uncovered years later. I can't live like that. First of all, it's daunting. I I don't want to have to work that hard. And we are not alone in this task, even if we seem to be separated. If we're outside of our community of faith for a short time because of this, that, or the other thing. Galatians 5, verse 13 through 16 says, You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. And here's the part, right? I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. God didn't just say, hey, just don't do it anymore. He said, don't do it. Here, let me help you. I've always been here wanting to help you. Just think of it this way. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's a great illustration of wanting to look back at your past lives. When the angel of God helped Lot and his family escape Sodom, what was the one thing they were told not to do? Don't look back. So while they're escaping, Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Why'd she look back? Perhaps she missed the old life that she had. Perhaps all those things that she loved about her life were there being destroyed by the hand of God. So the question that you have to ask yourselves is, are you busy looking back right now? You remembering? Now, mind you, I know that it's a marred memory, but are you remembering the good old days? Those good old days were not the good old days when you were in them. The memory does not hold up. I too had good old days in high school, right? I was in many sports. I was also a band geek. It was kind of weird. I've got, I I was a four-year letterman. 
Do I look back fondly upon those days and say, oh, the good old days? No. I don't. There's a lot of good things that happened then, but there were a lot of times where I had no idea who I was. Because I was still trapped in that mindset that I needed people to like me. So in order to get people to like me, I was a jock when I was with the jocks. I was a band geek when I was with the band geeks. I was an academic when I was with the debate team. So many different personalities. Just to try to belong. But through Christ, through Christ, I don't have to be somebody else to be part of the church. I can be me. And for some of us, there's a time of discovery to figure out who it is we actually are. Because we lived our whole lives stuck in that state of being who we needed to be, when we needed to be it. Praise God that we can be fully cohesive in our worldview. And we can just be us. And in that, we can come alongside each other and there is no need to look back. We only need to look towards God and do so as one body. Don't look back. Show the world who Christ is through our solidarity, through our love for one another, and cast off all of that that is dead. Do not carry it around like a weight. That's what we're focusing on today, clearing up our vision. So I'm going to take opportunity to give you some questions for cell group. But before we leave for cell group, just a precursor, we're, we're going to deliver the pumpkin grams. So don't immediately jump out to your cell groups. Uh, give just a minute. But I'll give you the questions here so you can write them down. You can start pondering them uh, for our cell groups. So the first question is... Where do you find yourselves looking at relationships with a worldly filter? So please, take opportunity and examine yourselves. Where is it that you find yourselves looking at relationships through the worldly filter? The second question I have for you is... Uh, I just want you to take opportunity to see how it is that your friend groups have changed since you've become a Christian. Now, some of you, I know that you've lived a long life as a Christian, but I'm sure that your friend groups changed. You may have to think back. And that's perfectly fine. But examine that. How have your friend groups changed since becoming a Christian? And then the third one is, how are you working on your relationship with God? Have you given any thought to how you're working on your relationship with God? How are you working on your relationship with God?
please ponder these things.